Welcome to The Dig on the Huskers Radio Network Podcast, powered by Emeritus. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie. Welcome back to a special edition of The Dig and a very special guest joining us today, Lauren Cookwas, the analyst for our Huskers Radio Network broadcast with John Baylor. Lauren, thanks for being here. You're we're asking you to do all kinds of stuff here now that you're in town. <laughs> I'm just happy we're together, the dream team, the ladies of the HRN, back in action, and I'm always honored to be chatting with you. I know, name a better duo, right? Right? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are going prepping. We're going to be talking about another Final Four. Now that it's here, it's done, they punched their ticket. How does it feel for you to get to see how this whole season unfolded? Jalen Rays, we had him post game after the Arkansas match, and he worded this perfectly. He said it's more difficult to coach. And play in a regional final than it is in the final four wow. and I think he said that perfectly and it's so true because it, there was so much pressure on Nebraska not just getting to a regional final but hosting a regional final in front of your home crowd you're also the number one seed so there was even more pressure on on the Huskers and the fact that they were able to get through that and get it done and move on to the final four now they can finally take a deep breath just relax have fun enjoy I mean there's still pressure to perform well and to win, win a national championship but at the same time, I just think it's, it's fun and games from here on out. They've made it through the tough part, and they can just go to Tampa and enjoy the, the Final Four. Absolutely. Okay, so Arkansas, that first set was a battle, right? And, and Arkansas had never even been on that stage before, and, boy, they were not intimidated by the environment. What did you see in just the way that the Huskers battled, and they were trailing the whole time, and how they were able to end up pulling out that first set? It's been the storyline of the team this season is they, they and it gives me a heart attack I, <laughs> I need to start taking medication because I'm barely able to breathe through some of these broadcasts but it's they find a way to play two points better and to be two points better and I think a lot of that comes from their chemistry and the heart that this Husker team plays with they play for each other I I also heard a story uh, after the Arkansas match that Harper Murray is really dedicating the season to Becca Alec because of the loss last year and how they finished last year and it was a disappointment and they didn't make it to the final four and so the fact that a younger player is dedicating a season to an older player and playing for her and trying to do her best for Becca Alec that Harper Murray's doing that I mean that just speaks volumes as to what type of team this is and they really are playing for each other and and I think that's what you see is when they're down, they're going to fight back and, and do it for each other because they want the teammate next to them to be able to come out with a win at the end of the day. It's not for themselves. And so I think that's why they're able to pull themselves out of these tough situations. When they're down by a few points, they're able to somehow find a way to fight and come back. And that first set was huge. It was crucial. Mm -hmm. If Nebraska would have lost that, I, I don't know how the match would have turned out, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I, I think, and I think you saw it in Arkansas as well. After that first set, they're... It's just their demeanor, the way they were playing, things changed. They still fought hard. They still played really well, really solid volleyball. But I just think that that first set was was a huge indicator of who was going to win that match. And I'm glad it went in Nebraska's favor. But still, it's it's just amazing what this team can do and how they do it. And they continue to fight back. And it's up and down all season. But they somehow find a way to get a win and get it done. Have you been – there have been multiple times throughout this season that it's like, oh, Oscars are down and out in this one, but they find a way to claw back, and they're so young. It's just, it just never seemed to amaze, no matter what situation they're in, that they can find a way out of whatever it may be. I think part of that maybe is because they're so young, they just don't know any better, and uh -huh. they're just, at the end of the day, trying to win, and maybe they're not so much, they're not focused on the pressure and the distractions, and 
you know, that they're down by a few points and that it's almost impossible for them to come back and, and win. So I think it, honestly, it helps that, that they're young and immature in a sense because they forget about all the other things that you learn the older you get, the, the longer you go through a program, the more pressure that's on, that you start carrying on your shoulders. I, I think they just, they don't let that affect them. And, and maybe it will a couple years from now as they work their way through the program. But I just think they're young, they're naive at times, and, and that's played to their benefit. It's a good thing. I'm not saying it, that it's a mm-hmm. bad thing. It's, it's just, I think that helps them play more free, more loose, and they're able to, to just fight back in some of those tough situations when maybe an older player feels that pressure and isn't able to step up and do that. How good was the defense over the, the last two matches? <laughs> there were some plays that Lexi Rodriguez made, and not just Lexi, but it's, it's, it's a group effort. It's the block, positive block touches or the blocking from Becca Alec. Oh, my gosh. I think she finished with, do you know how? 12. 12, 12 on, on Saturday, 12 blocks, her alone. Uh, but it's not just Becca and, and Lexi. It's, it's the rest of the team, but it's positive block touches. It's, you know, Laney Choboy running into Coach Cook on the sidelines trying to save a ball to keep it alive. It's just such a group effort. And the defense, it, there's times where I'm speechless. I don't, I don't even know how to respond or what to say because in my head I'm thinking, how the heck did she make that play? Or how, that's, that's not natural or she shouldn't be able to get that ball up or there's no way she's going to get that ball up. And then they magically find a way to do it. And it, it really, magic is really the only way to put it. It's just magic, pure magic, watching them and some of the plays they make. And it, I think a lot of it, you have to credit their vision it's they're they're watching where the ball's going, where the block's setting up, where the everyone else is playing, and so a lot of these players, especially Lexi Rodriguez, they just have court awareness, really solid vision, and they're able to see what's going on and anticipate where they need to be before that ball's attacked. So Merritt Beeson finishes with 19 kills, 11 digs, and almost a triple double, eight with eight blocks. How impressive is that? And just being able to do all of that all all over the court, Merritt's. A, a, almost a silent factor. You don't realize how good her stats are until the end of the match. She makes plays as the match goes on, and when you need her to make a play, you know Bergen's going to go to her, and, and she'll find a way to, Merritt will find a way to get it, it done, whether it's a kill or maybe the team needs an ace or a big dig or whatever it block. She'll, she'll find a way to contribute, but it's, it, you don't realize how well she plays until you look at the stat sheet at the end of the match. And it's just over the course of the year, it's impressive. She continues to get better. She continues to pile up kills. She continues to get blocks and serve tough and play defense. And she's doing all of it. I mean, she's doing, she's playing six rotations. And so she's constantly touching the ball. And then on top of that, she's leading this team. She's the mother hen. So they're looking to her. And she's constantly talking in huddles. She's constantly, you know, giving a high five or a, a pat on the back to a teammate. And so not only is she having to handle her on-court responsibilities, but she's also having to handle those captain responsibilities. And so for her to, to handle all of that and do it so well and so gracefully, it's just, she's, I mean, hands down one of the best players in the country. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Nebraska fan and I love Merritt Beeson. It's, I mean, those are, that's facts. She's with her stats and where she's helped this team get to. I mean, she's the, the veteran on this team. It's, she is hands down one of the best players in the country. How about some of her kills where it's just she finds just the exact spot where it's open? I mean, there was one, I think it was against Georgia Tech. She goes across the side of the net. Yeah. And just the way that she's able to f- see it, it, just in that fast moment and see where she can land a kill, whatever it might be, it's just, to me, her, and again, coming from a non-volleyball player, but just the, her vision seems to be just 
through the charts. And that's what it is. So the block moves in front and takes her line. She sees that. She cuts it cross-court. Or the block starts taking her cross-court shots. She sees that. She takes it down the line. Or maybe she sees that the libero just served and is coming up to play defense. So Merritt will tip right over the block because the libero is not you know, set up ready to play defense because she was just running up from behind the service line. So Merritt sees the court so well. She has that court awareness, court vision, and that's what helps her play at such a high level and find the openings on the court. And she's also constantly mixing up her shots. So she's very difficult to defend because you normally when you when you produce a scouting report on a team or on a player, you say, okay, we have Harper Murray. She loves to, for example, she loves to go her preferred shot would be uh, wrist away, you know, cross, cross court in the seam. And then that's what the block and defense takes. So they're going to force her to hit down the line. They're going to take away her cross court, her tendency, the shot that she prefers to hit, that she's most comfortable attacking, and, and really make her take a risk and swing down the line. They're going to give her line. And Merritt, you really, she doesn't have any tendencies. You can't really scout for her because she's always mixing up her shots and doing the opposite of what the block is doing and again that's it all goes back to her vision but she, that's why she's so difficult to defend is because you she doesn't have tendencies she doesn't give away what she's going to attack she's just really difficult to defend because she finds a way around the block and she's always mixing up her shots is there a sweeter person on the planet too no <laughs> she's just so nice she is and i'll tell you this my madden has met my daughter madden has met merit in person a few times and Merritt Beeson is her favorite player. I mean she she after the Arkansas match she went up to Merritt, ran into Merritt's arms and she's Madden's really shy. And Merritt was holding her and Madden was snuggled into her shoulder. Aww. I mean it was the sweetest thing, but that's Merritt Beeson for you. And Madden again has only met Merritt a couple times in person and Merritt was her favorite player before she had ever even met her in person. So just by watching her in interviews or seeing her on FaceTime and I think that just speaks to Merritt's personality. She's just a happy, loving, kind person and is so welcoming that you don't really have to know her, but you feel like you do know her and you just, you automatically love her. I mean, name someone who doesn't love Merritt Beeson. I, I know. You can't name anyone. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. Great story, too. I can't believe it's been, what, 10 minutes into this podcast. I'm just now asking you about the setter, Bergen Riley. I love your perspective that you gave with Greg on Sports Nightly the other night just about, you know, her body and how she is deceiving and you don't know where she's going. But at what point did you realize she could be special? Was there a moment throughout the season? Did you see something in her? Was it a development? Was it a process throughout the season? But when did you think, okay, she's something special? I don't know if this is the answer you want, Jessica, but I thought she was something special watching her in high school. Mm. And I got to see some club, some video that Coach Cook was watching of her in club volleyball and in high school volleyball. And, and also watching her at Husker volleyball camps. You just, you know when a player has it, and Bergen Riley has it. And I think, I, I mentioned this with Greg the other night, but on Sports Nightly, she is, she'll come off during timeouts and tell the coaching staff what they want to hear. Hmm. And it's, she almost knows, okay, this is why Coach Cook called a timeout. Coach Cook, here's, here's what I'm going to do different. Here's X, Y, and Z. Here's how I'm going to, you know, change what I'm doing moving forward in this match. And here's, I know what I need to work on or what I need to change or whatever it may be. And she's saying that to the coaches in the timeout. The coaches are not having to say this to her. I mean, she immediately comes off the sidelines and is talking to the coaching staff, Kelly Hunter, Coach Cook, and who mainly deal with setters. So the fact that she's able to do that shows you how mature she is, even though she's a freshman. She understands the game. She's just a special player. She's easy to coach. 
is what I've been told. And she just accepts the, the criticism and the feedback, and she makes those adjustments. And that's what you want in a player is you tell them to change something or you tell them to do something, or they're doing it before you even have to tell them. And it, it's, it's just she, she is going to be a delight to watch for the next four years, and I'm glad that we have her around for a while. But it, I, I also said this, out of the setters that are remaining, and this was back in, when the Elite Eight was still going on, I would pick Bergen out of, you know, Cammie Miner, Stanford setter. She's incredible. You have other setters, um, Hannah Pukas from Oregon. She's, she's something else. I mean, out of all of these other setters that were still left in the tournament, I would hands down still pick Bergen Riley. And again, it's not because I'm a Nebraska fan. It's just because she is the best setter in the country and makes the best decisions and gets the most one-on-one -on -one situations and is the most difficult to defend because of her body language. You never know if she's going to go forward or back or set the middle. She doesn't have tendencies. She doesn't give away where she's going to set. And so across the board, I just, I think Bergen is the best setter in the country and she's only a freshman. Scary. Uh, beyond just the, you know, how she distributes the volleyball, but when she's got a joust at the net, she is buyers of the team with her blocks, the dumps, like all those other things too that are part of her as a setter. How much does that fire you up when she does some of those things? I wish she would get, uh, I, well, I get really fired up. I'm fist, <laughs> I'm fist pumping in the back. You know, she gets, she goes up and sends over a pineapple, that deep um, setter attack to that left back corner. And I'm, I'm bumping JB and, you know, <laughs> saying, yeah, and trying to take myself off there so I can celebrate. But I wish she would play a little more fiery. I feel like she's always very calm, cool, and collected. Like, you don't see a lot of emotion from Bergen Riley. At times you do, but she keeps it very, very, her face, her expressions, everything's always very even. And I think the team feeds off of that because I think if you had a setter who was up and down and really high energy and then really low energy, if, if they're not playing well, I think the team would, would feed off of that and it would affect the team as well. But I, I think it's actually a benefit that she's remains so calm and you, you see the same phrase from her whether they're up by 20 points or whether they're down by 10 points it, it doesn't matter it's it's just that's Bergen Riley and so I think she helps keep this team steady and uh, just yeah, they, they feed off of her. I don't know how else to word it. I, I, but at times I wish she would play like Nicklin Hames. Mm -hmm. She was fiery. She was spicy. She was fun to watch. And Bergen is still really fun to watch. And I wish we would get a glimpse of that at times. But again, I, I just think it, the team feeds off of how even-keeled she is. And that's, that's what they need at times, especially when they're down. The things that she can do besides just setting, how good is that to have a setter that can do all the, those kinds of things? Well, Coach Cook always says setters don't play defense. And I'll tell you what, Bergen Riley, <laughs> will, sometimes she has more digs than Lexi Rodriguez. She'll sit back there and she plays defense. And I, I think Coach Cook says that because setters always release to the net and they're more worried about the second contact than they are the first contact. But she, she'll sit back there, she'll dig balls, she'll go for tips. She's not afraid to play defense. And then the other thing that she does is blocking. Usually setters are blocking targets for opposing teams. And when you have a setter, when you're in a 5-1 rotation and you have a setter going through the front row, three rotations, then opposing teams usually take advantage of that. And they'll set their, their left sides and have their left sides try and hit off or around or over the setter that's blocking because setters are usually smaller blockers. And then they're also usually focused on that second contact. So they're going up to block, but then they're, they're turning off the net early to go get to that second ball. And Bergen, will stay patient at the net. 
She, I mean, she's blocked some of the best attackers mm -hmm. in the country. And just in the Big Ten, in preseason, she holds her own up there. She can, there was a play, I believe it was against Arkansas. She was one-on-one, -on -one, so it was just her up, and she got a stuff block all by herself. And normally a middle blocker is coming over to help her block, but she was one-on-one -on -one and put her hands up and stayed patient at the net and sealed over and, and got a huge block at a crucial moment. And so the fact that Bergen can do those two things, I mean, on top of her serve we we always run points in her rotation that's why you see nebraska often start in rotation one because she's back there serving but she just she adds so much more than just setting but b defense and blocking stand out to me the most you've talked a lot throughout the season during broadcast about when she goes back to um an attacker after they've made an error Take us through that why you like to see that and how how good that is for her to have that kind of trust that okay they just made an error but i'm going to go right back to her the repeat rule. <laughs> there it is, the repeat rule. <laughs> the repeat yeah. rule. It's, so, so I'll explain. So what happens is, let's say Bergen sets Merritt Beeson. Merritt swings, gets blocked, or maybe makes an attacking error. Something happens that doesn't generate a Nebraska point. So then in that next play, Bergen's going to go back to Merritt and set Merritt again and hope that Merritt gets a kill or gets a tool off the block, whatever it is. And, uh, the reason that Bergen does that, there's a, couple, there's a couple factors that go into that. First of all, opposing teams usually don't expect you as a setter to go back to the player who just made a mistake. They're thinking, okay, she's going to set away from whoever just hit the ball out or got blocked. So Bergen's trying to catch the opposing block and D off guard by going back to the attacker who just made an error. The other reason she does it is to build, like you mentioned, to build the confidence in that player. So let's not worry about what the opposing block and defense is doing. Let's worry about our side of the net. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get this ball back to Merritt and let her know that I trust her to get a kill. And if she gets a kill, that's going to change her confidence. She went from, you know, thinking in her head, oh, I just made an attacking error. You know, I'm not a great player to, okay, Bergen's giving me another chance. I'm going to get a kill. And okay, I'm a good player again because I got this kill. So part of it is Bergen acting as a leader and trying to build confidence in her attackers and let them know that she trusts them. But the other part of it is trying to throw off that, that opposing block in D. Yeah, you mentioned how she is good with even getting digs and racking up the dig numbers too. So when that happens, when she gets first contact and then it goes to Lexi second, how impressed have you been with Lexi? She's made some incredible sets throughout this season too. I don't know how Lexi does it, but she, you'll see her go up and jump set behind. So Lexi, if she's taking the ball with her hands, she has to do it from behind the 10 foot line. And there's been times where that ball is close, but she'll go up off of one leg and jump set and I, don't, I still don't know how she understands where she's at on the court. I mean, it just has to be a feel thing. But she's never crossed in front of that 10-foot line. And if she does have to bump set in front of the 10-foot line, that ball's still perfect. It's on the money. And I don't think we give Lexi enough credit for those situations because it's difficult to have to step in and set that second contact and put those – she's just setting the pin hitters, but she'll set it to the right pin. She'll set it to the left pin. Sometimes we've even seen her set the back row. And – she'll put that ball on the money. She doesn't get it too tight. It's not too far off. It's not too far inside. It's not too wide. I mean, she, almost every single time she has to touch that second contact, it's perfect. And what you'll notice is in the postseason, I've seen a lot of teams attacking to Bergen when she's playing right back defense to try and pull Nebraska out of system to slow them down. Hmm. So Lexi's had to step in and set up a lot of those attackers. But 
Nebraska doesn't miss a beat when that happens. They usually get a kill off of Lexi. It's almost like our attackers are better when they <laughs> attack off of Lexi. And I don't, I don't know why that is, if it's just the way the block's setting up in front of them or the way they see that they have more time to see the block and take a bigger swing on those out-of-system sets because they're higher and slower. But bottom line is, if, even if Bergen has to dig that first contact, Lexi can still step in and set, and we need to give her definitely, I definitely need to give her more credit for <laughs> some of those balls that she has to step in and set because she makes it look easy. So, so going back to that conversation that you were having about Bergen and how setters sometimes aren't patient with it, does it probably help Bergen knowing that she does have somebody like Lexi that can help in that regard where she, she can help the, everybody else get into the offense? Absolutely. And it's not just Lexi. It's sometimes mm -hmm. Laney. Yeah. It's even sometimes Kennedy. If Bergen is, is in the front row and she's an off blocker and has to come over and play a tip, she knows that sometimes Kennedy Orr is back there. Or even Maisie Bozinger. She was a setter in high school. So I... I think you're right. Bergen probably realizes, hey, defense is my first priority because someone could easily step in and set the second contact and we're still going to get a kill on an out-of-system situation because our second setter is that good and our attackers are that good on out-of-system situations. Okay, so one of the things I wanted you to kind of talk about, you were talking about the side-out percentage during the last match. Can you take us through that, why that's important and, and what you're looking for in that and just break that down for us? So your side out percentage is how you're doing in serve receive. So it's all based off of your, mainly it shows how well you're passing. If you're passing well, your setter's able to run the offense. If she's able to run the offense, then you're usually able to get a kill in those situations. So side out percentage is, is what, and I'm not sure the exact formula or equation that goes into calculating that number, um, but it's, it's how you're doing in serve-receive. Mm. So the goal is for Nebraska is 65% or higher. So usually you see Nebraska anywhere from like 67, 67% to about 74. That's kind of where they most matches this season. It's, it's rare that they go below 65, although they were in, I believe, in the 50s against Arkansas at mm. one point. Uh, and then sometimes you'll see them in, in the 80s in the high 80s, and that's also rare, but I think maybe against Stanford we were in the 80s. There, there's been a couple matches where that number has been pretty high, but 65% or higher is the goal. And so you get to that goal by, again, passing well in serve-receive, letting Bergen run the offense, and then getting a kill. So it's, it's how quick you get the ball back after you lose the ball. Okay, fascinating. Love it. Okay, Pitt. Let's talk about Pittsburgh. What have you seen in them? What's the matchup going to look like for Nebraska? I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lot of Pittsburgh yet. It was, I was just trying to make it through this <laughs> yeah, weekend, Jessica, I you, and, I and I'll, I'll look at Pitt probably tomorrow. But what, from what I do remember, and they have a lot of players, if people remember over the past few years playing Pitt, uh, they'll see a lot of the same faces uh, that they saw. But they're a well-coached team. They try to run really fast when they're in system. They, their setters fire it to the, fire it to the pin. Um, you're going to see a lot of holes in the block. If, if they are passing well and they're in system, it's tough for opposing teams to close the block and, and get in front of their attackers. And they're just scrappy. They play, they're, they're, there'll be bodies all over the floor trying to keep the ball up. And I think that frustrates opposing teams uh, because they, they make, they're similar to Nebraska. They make plays that you don't expect them to make. But I... W what, with this matchup, Nebraska is one of the best defensive teams in the country. Pitt is one of the best offensive teams hmm. in the country. So you're getting defense versus offense. And 
it, who, who can play that better? I, we'll find out Thursday. But I think, again, it all comes back to serving and passing. We talk about that all the time. It's If Nebraska can serve tough and pull them out of system, it will slow down their fast-paced offense and some of their big-time attackers. And we'll have more time to put up our block and D. And then also, if we pass well, that gives Bergen a chance to really do her thing and set up the offense and try and get around that big, dynamic pit block. So when you talk about you know being aggressive at the serv service line, is that something that maybe changes throughout a match that, hey, we're going to do this this time around and this, maybe it kind of fluctuates throughout a match depending on how it's going? Or is it something, hey, we're going to do this, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to stick with it throughout the match? It's constantly changing. And it's, I'm glad you asked this. This is a great question because the beginning of, or prior to the match, Nebraska scouts, and they have a plan for who they're going to go after for serving targets. So they have a maybe one, two, maximum three passers that they're going to target, start off targeting. And, but as the match goes on, that definitely can change because maybe you have someone who's passing nails, passing perfect, and, okay, we need to find a different serving. We need to go away from them, find someone else, and try and break them down instead. So they, Nebraska starts with a plan of who they're going to target from the service line, and then that definitely can change. Now, it may stay the same, from you know what they scouted and we may see that the whole match or it it does change and it does fluctuate and you see Nebraska targeting different servers but at every time a server goes back to serve that's what coach cook is putting behind his clipboard he's giving them a serving zone and trying to get them to serve to that zone or that player uh, based on what he's scouted and and what the stats that he's being given throughout the match and that's what he feels like is the the weakest passer the best serving target for Nebraska and then you may see him tell the servers to serve in a short serve or to serve, we call it yo-yo serving, serve in a deep serve. So Lexi Rodriguez, she does this often. She'll do some short serves and she'll do some deep serves. So you'll see she's trying to throw off those passers, trying to get them to move. Maybe they're not expecting that short serve to come over. You also may see at times where, let's take Harper, for example, Harper Murray, she's really sticking her serve. It's barely going over the top of the tape. You know, she's driving that ball. Well, maybe it's 24-24 in you know, the fourth set, and you need her to just cupcake that serve over. And I'm not saying, you know, give them a free ball, but maybe she takes a little off of that serve just to try and get it over and in so we're not giving the opposing team a free point. So there's certain situations and certain things that play out that does affect the serving strategy, but Nebraska does try to go in with a game plan, and they'll try to stick to it, but it does change. Oh, great perspective. How much of it at this point, the breakdown, would you say, is – scouting and having a game plan for the opposing team and just doing what Nebraska does? It's, I would say it's probably 50-50. Mm -hmm. Nebraska puts a lot of work into scouting the opponent and having a game plan and doing things in certain rotations, whether it's blocking or defensive scheming. It's, there's, there's a plan for every single rotation and what Nebraska is going to be doing. But a lot of it also comes back on the Huskers' side of the net. I mean, you have to play clean volleyball. You have to serve and pass. You have to play low air. It, it's just there's so much you can control on your side and then so much that you can try and control from the other side. It's, I, I think it's a good blend of both. Now, there's times where maybe it's you're, you're doing a lot of scheming or committing with the block, and, I mean, you, you do what you can and you try and slow the opposing team down and you try and shut them down. But there's also times where, you know, you're in control of passing and Bergen's having to make a decision and, 
and that attacker is having to go up and play low air and instead of maybe you know swinging as hard as they can trying to get a big kill maybe they have to be strategic about where they place that ball because Nebraska can't afford to make any more air so it's I would say it's a it's a combination of yeah. both it's yeah. it's on yeah I yeah no I mean it makes sense I just wasn't sure if there is like okay we've done things really well so that's what we do but I just wasn't sure how much they they do dive into that yeah um I also had to get your perspective on this did you see Emily Eamon's tweet asking Husker fans who they're rooting for in the Wisconsin Texas match <laughs> I did and I did you read some of the replies yes it was hilarious <laughs> I also voted to see what the results were yeah there's well, almost 10,000 votes I was shocked. Did you see? No. What were the, what? Share with us. Sixty-five percent voted for Texas. They would be cheering for Texas over Wisconsin. I was kind of surprised by that. I I could see that, and the only reason why is Texas may be a little easier to. Both teams are are really good, but it may be a little easier to beat Texas than it would be Wisconsin. <laughs> also, I mean, if we do make it to the national championship match, and so does Wisconsin, there's another example of I think Greg and I were talking about this of another two more teams that are playing for the third time this season. So we had Arkansas and Kentucky playing for the third time this season. We had Wisconsin and Penn State playing for the third time this season. I mean, these are in like regional finals or the final four where you have these matchups that are happening for the third time so far this season. So Nebraska-Wisconsin would be that case again if, if they do both make it to, to Sunday. But it's tough to play a team yeah, it was three funny. times. It was funny because a lot of people were like, What's the third choice? Yeah. <laughs> Can <laughs> like we pick the lesser else? of two evils, I feel I like, for Husker fans. The two rivals. I, I mean, just this, this matchup that, you know, you have Wisconsin and Texas on the other side, and Pitt and Nebraska, and all of the matches, especially once you got into the, to the regional semifinals, were all on TV. Just the way that this sport has grown, uh, how much pride you take in that? How, how special is it for you to see just where, where volleyball has been? And, and it all got kicked off with the volleyball day in Nebraska, and then records just continue to, to fall throughout the season. But just, again, the, the hype surrounding this Final Four, how special is that for you? It's really special because at one point I was a part of all of this. And to see this sport continue to grow, a sport that I'm very passionate about, and it's not just volleyball, but I feel like this is helping women's sports in general just grow and people are becoming more aware and are more supportive of women's sports. I, it, it's just, it's special that I, you know, was, I'm able to say, yeah, one, you know, one day in the past I was a part of that, or at one point in the past I was a part of that. And now I just get to see it continue to grow. And, and these players, you know, with NIL deals and, and um, just the amount of fans, I think Nebraska helped sell out every single match they, away match they played in this season. So it, it's, it's growing it's people are more aware of what's of women's sports and, and the sport of volleyball i think high school volleyball is now the top uh women's sports in in the high school world or at the high school level and now you're having pro teams come to the united states whereas you know back when i was playing you had to go overseas mm -hmm. to play professional volleyball and so there's so many more opportunities so many just unique things happening and it, it, yeah, I feel I'm proud. I'm. It's really cool to see. I don't know if you can put it into words, but it's just it's special and it means a lot. And a lot of people have been fighting for this for a really long time. So it's just beautiful to see all of that kind of come full circle now. It's awesome. One of the episodes earlier, I was joking. I think it was right after the Wisconsin win, and I don't know if it was Lindsay or Jordan that was here and was talking about when Coach Cook ran into the student section and he put on the cowboy <laughs> hat and 
just some of the fun that he's been having this year. They're like, yeah, he would have never done that with us. Mm -hmm. But just how have you seen him continue to, to grow and evolve and to where the kind of coach that he is today that allows him to still be the best in the country? It just that sustained success is really hard to do. And uh, not a lot of coaches can have that and can say that. And so you have to evolve right throughout time. How have you seen that change for him to where he is and, and he's still at the top of his game now? Well, he's definitely soft now. <laughs> he's, and he'll admit it. He knows he's soft and he's softened up over the years. He, he used to not be like that. But he puts a lot of t time and effort into off-season development and how he can be a better coach and what he needs to do and trying to learn. He'll, he'll go out and watch diff other coaches coach. He'll watch practices at different, you know, he'll go watch Team USA and Karch Cry and, and those players and coaches train and he'll try and learn from them and so he's constantly trying to better himself and I think that's what sets him apart and helps him stay at, at the level that he's at because he's always wanting to learn he's never satisfied with where he's at and he under, I think he understands that the girls that he's coaching now he can't be how he was you know 10-15 years ago that he has to work on these connections and develop these connections and be a little softer with them and it's just the change in in the generations and and the change in volleyball and the culture and what players need now is different than what they needed you know 10 or 15 years mm -hmm. ago and he understands that and he's adapted to that and the i i've said this before and he his lock screen on his phone you would think it would be, you know, of his granddaughter or his, his horses, you know, something he's really passionate about. It's him and Harper Murray. It's a selfie of him and Harper. And I, these players are really like his daughters. I mean, they're a part of his family, and he cares about them not just on the court but off the court as well. And I think that's also helped them become so successful in such a tight-knit group because it's not just volleyball for him or for them. It's, it's so much more than that, and it's so much bigger than that. And it's just really special to see some of the bonds that he has with this team and, and the players and then his coaching staff. I mean, everyone respects one another. Everyone gets along. It's, it's Jalen and Kelly just signed contract mm -hmm. extensions. That's huge news. It's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really cool to see him. But he's, he's constantly evolving, constantly trying to learn, and he's never satisfied with where he's at. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Jalen and, and Kelly, how good is this coaching staff? <laughs> I'll make a joke with you. I saw Jalen after the um, Georgia Tech match. They had to go down and scout for the Arkansas match uh -huh. or Arkansas-Kentucky match. And I see Jalen leaving the office because I was up in the office after we finished our post game. And he grabs a water, his clipboard, and then about a five-pound bag of Skittles. <laughs> and, and I was joking with Coach Cook. I'm like, he, if that doesn't show you how young they are, I mean, could you imagine Coach Cook carrying a, a five-pound bag of Skittles <laughs> down to, to go scout? It, that's, they're just, they're young, they're free, they have fun, and I think it's a perfect balance for Coach Cook because Kaylin, or Kelly and Jalen are so young, and they bring just a different perspective and a different eye to the game, and they both played, and they both understand, you know, what you need as a player, but also what you need as a coach and a coaching staff, and I, I just think it's a beautiful balance between you know the seniority of coach cook and then the just how young kelly and jalen are and and the new experience that they bring and i think they keep him young too i mean coach cook's getting up there in age and <laughs> so they you know they help him with with social media and you know learning the lingo and i they also are huge they're so instrumental in recruiting and jalen especially i mean they've brought in some of the top 
recruits in the top recruiting classes in the country, and they continue to do that. And I just think because Kelly and Jalen are younger, they, they know how, and they were players, they know how to relate to the, the recruits, they know how to relate to the parents, the families, and uh, it's just, yeah, it's a beautiful balance. And uh, it's huge news that they're sticking around because a lot of coaches will be having to find, a new, you know, they'll have an assistant leaving after the, the season or moving on to get a head coaching job. And the fact that you have two assistants who could go to the next level, I mean, Jalen's probably ready to be a head coach, but they want to stay here and, and they want to continue to, to coach for Nebraska. That speaks volumes. You know, the chemistry just all around throughout this program, but especially within the team, when they are such competitors and they want to play, they, and so you're balancing, you know, accepting your role, whatever that role might be. But it is critical, right, for a team to go on a championship run. How do you feel like or why has this team been able to be so close-knit and build that chemistry and, and be such a tight-knit group and balance being so competitive? I mean, Kelly was saying sometimes they are just – you think they might come to blows at practice, you know, going up against each other. But then the way that they battle together, it's just – it's really special how they balance that. So how what's been the key to that for this group specifically to build that kind of chemistry? I – saw a picture on online and it was I think I actually think Nebraska Huskers put it out on Twitter or X whatever we call it now <laughs> and it was Bergen and Kennedy so you have they were both the top recruits for their classes both top setters in the country came in different years Kennedy probably should have been the starter but she had she tore ACL went through a bunch of injury struggles and never got that that I mean, she got opportunities, but was never able to solidify her spot. And then you have Bergen Riley, who comes in, beats her out, takes that spot from her. And Bergen and Kennedy were arm in arm, smiling at each other, celebrating with each other. And someone said, that's just the definition of this team. You have the two top recruits in the country. One beat the other out. The younger one beat the older one out. And they, you can see the love that they have for each other and the respect that they have for each other just in this picture alone. And neither one is in the transfer portal. Neither one is unhappy. And that's so rare to find these days, especially with how, how easy it is to transfer and leave when you don't get playing time. And I think that speaks volumes about this program. And, you know, everyone has a role. And that role, whether you're the starting setter or whether you're coming in as a serving sub, that role is equally as important as the other. And both you know players know that and they respect each other and they you know, Merritt also made a comment uh, this was another one that really got me she made it earlier in the year but she said uh, they were asking Merritt you know how how do you always play so well and show up in these big matches when the lights are brightest and she said well I expect or I think she worded it as I know my teammates are going to do their job so I can do mine and I mean if that doesn't tell you all you need to know it's she knows she trusts that her teammates are going to do their job and take care of the business that they need to take care of so she can play at her highest level. And it's just, it, it's really cool to see because I, I, JB and I have talked about this. I, we don't recall a Nebraska team that has been this hmm. close-knit, has played, you know, f together for each other like this. I mean, we've, we've just, we've never seen anything like it. And there's been some really close-knit Nebraska teams in the past and, Nebraska focuses on team chemistry heavily in the off season, but there's just there's been nothing like this team, and, and you just you don't hear about a lot of drama that they're having or issues that they're having off the court. It's it, everyone loves each other and everyone's happy, and it's a beautiful sight to see. 
Well, and it's also a group that performs, seems to perform the biggest, or the best on the biggest stages. And here we are, we're headed to the biggest stage. What does this Nebraska team need to do over these next two matches? Hopefully you take care of business in the first and then advance to the second. But what needs to happen over these next few days for this team to put together something special? Serving and passing are going to be key. And there's, I think, at times being a little more disciplined with the block. We saw... Uh, especially in the Georgia Tech match, there were times where our block just wasn't closing or wasn't very disciplined or our passing broke down. And then uh, picking up tips and roll shots. We, oh, that was, we let way too many tips and roll shots drop over the past two matches. But those are some just strategy, strategic type things that we can clean up and focus on. But I, I really think this team has it. They have the drive, the competitiveness, and they want to do it for each other and you know go back to that Harper and Becca story Harper's playing this season for Becca she she wants to do it for Becca so it, they have the love they have I always say you can have the most talented team in the country but if they don't have the chemistry they're not going to go far or on the flip side if you have you know a team with a lot of chemistry and who want to play for each other they don't need all the talent in the world to do well and so i think nebraska has that they have the chemistry they have the talent it's just cleaning up a few things putting in the prep work knowing pitt's tendencies and then if they do win whoever they end up facing in, in the national championship just being really prepared for for that team and the rest will take care of itself you ready how excited are you oh i'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> i this is like this is my christmas this is uh Christmas morning for me, this is, uh, yeah, uh, this is uh, just, uh, I don't know how to put it in words. I'm speechless. I feel like I've been speechless for like the past, well, this whole season, yeah, really. Right? <laughs> Starting <laughs> Trying to put this all into words, yeah, with Memorial Stadium and just how everything's panned out. And then just seeing, I think for me, it's, I, I've, I've gotten really emotional after some matches. I think because I'm witnessing Coach Cook just how, how emotional he's been this season and how he's taking it all in and all the wins and you know the, the stadium match and then going through winning the big 10 championship and and uh becoming coach of the year and then you know getting to postseason going to another final four and he's just he's soaking it all in and i think me seeing that from the vantage point that i have is it just makes it all the more special and i'm I would be excited regardless of my connection with him, but having that connection, I think, just takes it to a deeper level. Does every year feel different for you when, when oh, yeah. the Huskers go to the Final Four? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's never it's, like just, okay, here we go again. It's No. Everything feels different. <laughs> everything feels so different. And for some reason, I'm just feeling it a lot deeper this year. And <laughs> I think so is Coach Cook. So is the rest of Husker Nation. Yeah. And look at how invested everyone mm -hmm. is. And yeah. Uh, I was checking out at Trader Joe's the other day, and I, I do not think this person knew who I was or knew that I had any connection to the Nebraska volleyball program. But he was just talking, saying, oh, yeah, I stayed up late. I watched, you know, I was watching Wisconsin. Uh, uh, I don't even remember who Wisconsin. Now I'm Oregon. Mine, Oregon. Yeah, yeah, Wisconsin, Oregon. And then he was watching Texas and Stanford. And he was just talking about volleyball. I'm like, here's someone who has no idea who I am. I don't know who he is. He's checking me out at Trader Joe's. <laughs> and we're talking about volleyball. This is, this, I mean, you just, that wouldn't have happened five years ago. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just different this year. And I think, I really think that that Memorial Stadium match kicked all of this off. No doubt about it. All right, well, we'll look forward to much more from you coming up throughout this week.
Great stuff. Thanks for stepping in and being a special guest. I uh, always love to hear your perspective. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get much more of it coming up this week. I'm, I'm just excited to hang with you in Tampa, Jessica. I know. <laughs> the HRN can... ladies taking over Tampa. Oh, yeah. And we'll get some, some good sideline updates from you, hopefully, and all hopefully. The, the, the juicy the juicy goodness that we don't <laughs> normally get just sitting on the sidelines, JB and I, you know, not able to get all the information that we need. We will have all the coverage for you right here on the Huskers Radio Network. Of course, we'll have the hour-long pregame show, we'll have interviews, postgame, all that kind of stuff, and, and podcast platforms, our social media platforms. So uh, make sure you ski, uh, stay tuned right here because we, we've got you covered as the Huskers head to Tampa for the national championship, starting with the semifinals against Pitt coming up on Thursday night. For Lauren Griglas, I'm Jessica Cootie. This has been The Dig, powered by Emeritus.